Well, welcome to the house of the Lord. Go ahead and grab your seat. Make yourself at home in God's presence. If you have your Bible, we're going to be reading out of the book of Haggai tonight. Some of you are like, excuse me? <laughs> what? It's, it's one of those sticky pages of the Bible, Haggai. And so go to the book of Matthew and hang just an immediate left. There's a couple chapters over. And you'll see this little minor prophet, Haggai. Okay, class. Thank you. Thank you. I married a teacher, so I know how to do this. So we're going to be reading out of Haggai chapter 1 tonight. We'll read the first four verses of the book, and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Haggai in chapter 1. It says, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. If any of you are looking for a name for a child in the future, Shealtiel is just real brilliant. Uh, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. And here's the word that the Lord Almighty said. This is what he says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Flag that word, the Lord's house, that phrase, all night we're going to come back to that. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house, the people say. But then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Verse, uh, is, yeah, there it is. Let's pray. Jeez, this is amazing. Off to a great start. Lord, we need your help tonight. And we ask that your word would race, that your word would have liberty and freedom here. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, your people. You know the unique concerns we carry in here. You know the, the moment that we're all inhabiting. You know what's going on in our souls. And so, Lord, you're the God who is so creative and so powerful enough to speak to each individual person tonight by your spirit. And so we say, come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. Come and make us your people. Come and raise us up to new life. Come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray tonight that we would relax in your presence and that you would heal us by the very life of your word. Pray may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, and we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. amen. 587 B.C., was a terrible year for the people of Judah. God, God's people, the people of God, the ones who had been given this promised land and they've been given this temple that Solomon built them. 587 was a terrible year because the Babylonians finally, once and for all, crushed them and they tore down the temple that Solomon had built. This beautiful place, worship ascended there, and they had all their memories there. Their ancient national history had, had unfolded in that place, and that place that was so sacred and so beautiful was decimated and torn down in the year 587 B.C. by those terrible Babylonians. But Haggai is writing in 520 B.C., so let's call it 57 years later, roughly 60 years later, Haggai comes along to a people who... We're just starting to find some freshness and some newness and some life. The wind of the spirit had shifted behind them and it was beginning to push them forward. And that's because the Babylonians had themselves now been crushed. 
The Persians came through and destroyed the Babylonians. And the Persians were pretty good news for the people of God because they were kind of nice. I mean, they destroyed the Babylonians, but they were very willing to let the people of God worship Yahweh. And in fact, they started sending them back home to Jerusalem. They, th- th- these people were so weak by now, they didn't really have much to offer. <laughs> And so they said, yeah, you can go back home. You're not a threat to us. Go, go back to Jerusalem. And so the, the people of God who had been in exile start going back home to Jerusalem. So the Persians were good news for the people of God. So they did go back. And Joshua, the high priest, leads them. And Zerubbabel leads the way. And they, they, when they got back, they discovered just how decimated Jerusalem was. Now think. 57 years before the temple had been torn down and then they were hauled off into exile. They're coming back 57 years later and now it's just a pile of weeds around those rocks, not one stone left on another. The place had been decimated. But we see that these people are hardworking and, and, and you know, just they're not afraid. They roll up their sleeves. They start going for it. They start rebuilding. They, they got their, you know, Ace Hardware, and they, they get all their stuff bought, and they, they get to work right away. These people start putting the city back together. But there was one problem. Their hard work was entirely self-focused. They had made their own homes look like heaven while the house of God looked like hell. Their work was self-focused. They've got the the temple that Solomon had built. It's it's lying in ruins there and and there's no worshiping life of the people and there's no weekend service. There's no Sabbath ritual that they can observe. There's no sacrifice for for sins. There's there's just no worshiping life of the people, but these people who are hardworking and handy and and enterprising, they're, they're building their own lives really strong while the house of God is broken down. Their homes looked like heaven and the house of God looked like Hell, and through the prophet Haggai, Yahweh erupts finally. He'd been warning them, restore my house, restore my house, come and worship me again, but they ignored him. And so Yahweh finally erupts in displeasure and he says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while my house remains a ruin? Notice the juxtaposition tonight, your houses, your paneled houses, my house, Life is working good at home for you, but you don't care about worshiping God. There's, there's individual families that are doing okay, but the collective worshiping people who for thousands of years have been following Yahweh, there is no vitality in the collective worshiping life of the people. This is a moment where we typically go, yeah, I knew it, God. He, he doesn't want us to enjoy anything. God is this cosmic killjoy and he just wants us to take the vow of poverty and hate our lives and just suck it up until heaven and just be miserable and just kind of, if you can jump through all the hoops and, and jump over the high bar, the impossibly high bar, then I'll let you into heaven and then finally I'll give you joy. We think God is this God who is against us loving life and the scriptures rebuke that on every page. But when when God starts to juxtapose their houses that are thriving with his house that's a ruin, God is not here to play. We often think God is a drag and if we wanna follow him, our lives have to be a drag too. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever gone to a church and just listened and you thought, is God happy? (laughs) Is is he nice? Like you talk about him as father. What is he, a tyrant father? Because there's like, you call it the good news, but it just sounds terrible. (laughs) Uh, have you ever been in a church like that? I've been in a set. Hopefully you don't experience Friday night like that. Um, 
but God is a drag, and if we want to follow him, we just got to suck it up till we get to heaven, and then finally we'll enter into the joy and the pearly gates and the streets of gold. I want to suggest to you that that's a false dichotomy that we've created here. God is the God of endless joy. God is the God who is is happy. God is the God who Father, Son, Holy Spirit is this constant ecstatic celebration of unending love. God is good, but he sees his people now having neglected worship and having neglected the community and having just built their own little individual lives of goodness and God comes in with a big no. God rebukes it. We don't have to create this false dichotomy God doesn't object to them having paneled houses. He he objects to them prioritizing their households while neglecting his house. Let's not create a false dichotomy here. God is for our good. God is for our joy. God is for the community. (laughs) Why, Why does God care so much about his house? Why is this because he's, you know, just, he's, he's full of himself? No, why does God care so much about his house? Why does he rebuke these people for building their paneled houses while neglecting his house of worship? It's because the house of God is meant to be a storehouse to meet the needs of all the neglected. God's house, a storehouse to meet the needs of all the world's neglected. So the question I wanna ask tonight is what happens when we live self-focused lives? What happens when we live self-focused lives? Haggai answers that question for us in verse five. He says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. He's saying, look, you've built your houses, you've neglected mine, let's see how this works. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways and do, not, do go up into the mountains and bring down timber and rebuild my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be Little, what you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. We like to teach our kids about money at our house, and Scott and Bethany Palmer are dear friends over here, and they're just a little phase in front of us in life, and their boys are stallions, these big redheads over here, just monsters, and I would, just stud athletes, football, basketball, offers to Michigan State, offers to Air Force Academy, just freaks of nature. And Scott and Bethany, we really look up to them, and we ask them questions about parenting, and we ask them questions about finance, and we, we're, we're just trying to glean what we can, and we've known them for 16 years, and So we've learned a lot from them and they've helped us with money conversations with our kids. And so we really do talk to our kids about money a lot. And sometimes I'll I'll take money out of the bank, just like cold hard cash, you know, put $100 in $100 bills and we'll have a little math lesson. And okay, what's 10% of that? Okay, let's move this over here. So we like to talk about money with our kids. Lisa's super frugal and, and, and I hope she's not embarrassed when I say this, but half of her closet is from Goodwill. The girl just buys stuff for pennies on the dollar and I love it. I, it's a blessing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I can take her out on dates because she saved us a bunch of money. 
And so, uh, you know, we, we're frugal and our kids, we wanna teach them about business opportunities. Lillian's 13, she's, she's got her first little small business. So she's breeding many golden doodles and she loves these dogs and she may wanna be a veterinarian one day. And, and uh, her, her puppy, her first puppy, she bought two of them this year and her puppy's due with, uh, her, her dog is due with a litter of puppies in the next two weeks. So she's so excited. And in the last year, we bought the, we bought the dog for her. I said, I'll front the capital, about 7% interest. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 0% interest. I fronted the capital. She, you know, $1,500 she bought this dog. Some of you are like, that's just, that's gross. That's demonic. $1,500. That's what the market's doing, baby. Uh, so I, 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 um, I bought the dog. And in the last, she's two weeks away from having her first litter and she owes us $50. She's paid $1,450 just chipping away, working at something new boutique and doing all this different stuff. I'm very proud of my girl. So we love to talk about money and we like to save money. And we've got, you know, the little, you know, you, you gotta have a little change jar, right? At your house, if you're gonna have kids and talk about money. So we got our change jar and anytime we come home, we empty it in the change jar and we'll play poker at night with the kids. And it's just, that's a joke. And, um, but we like to just, it, it's important. Like if they go out of our house and they don't know about this stuff, shame on us, right? So we're talking about it and all this, but we also talk to them about tithing. We also talk to them about the importance of right off the top, minimum 10%, bring it to the house of the Lord because everything is a gift from God and he's blessed us to make us a blessing and, and our lives have been defined by the body of Christ and, and life in the body of Christ doesn't just happen. Why? Everyone pools their resources and with all of our collective resources, if you give your 10% and they give their 10%, my, my money can't change the world, but all of our money together can change the world. So we talk about this with our kids and and um, so, we, you know, we teach them these math lessons. But what, what Haggai is saying is that, you know, here's my little Lulu bag. I, I, once a year, I'll buy something from Lulu. I take a home equity line of credit to buy it. Um, but, you know, once a year, I'll buy something from Lulu. And I, I like the stuff and it's good, well-made. But, but Haggai says, when you live as if only your life matters... And when you live as if only your house matters, your paneled house, how's our place? Is our life comfortable? Is our life secure? Are we paying our bills? Our, 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 my, 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 I, I, I. When you live as if that way, it's like, you know, you have plenty, you, you've got stuff in the bank, but it's like you take the money and you're trying to save it up for yourself, but, but it, just, it, just, it just doesn't really work. It, 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 it's like your purse has holes in it. But wait, there's abundance here and I should be happy and I should be, we, we got to take a vacation and why am I not satisfied and why am I still anxious and why am I still, and Haggai says it's, it's because you thought all of that was for you and because you're living that way, you're living in the curse. You could be blessed, but the blessing that was meant for you has turned itself into a curse because you think it's just for you and you keep pouring it into your purse, but you look up at the end of the day and life is elusive and joy is elusive and hope is elusive and friendship is elusive. Why? Because you're living on an island and you've neglected the house of God. You've neglected the people of God. You're missing out. You, you can take all the money, young man. Thank you, my brother. Come see me afterwards. I got a 20 with your name on it. 
the language that Haggai uses here is straight out of Deuteronomy 28. It's the blessing and the curse section. And if you follow God, you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field and blessed in the basket and blessed in the storehouse. You'll be blessed coming in and blessed going out and your enemies will come at you one way, but they'll flee from you in seven. All of the blessing, Deuteronomy 28, one through 14, but Deuteronomy 28, 15 through like 70 is the curse. When you live on an island, when you live protecting yourself, when you live as if your paneled house is the only thing that matters on God's green earth, you may have enough, but the enough turns into the curse. Your purse has holes in it. Surprisingly, the people of God heard Haggai and they responded, they obeyed. Oh God, make us like these people. They started rebuilding the house. It says in verse 12, and the people feared the Lord after hearing this and they started rebuilding the temple. But it wasn't their own strength that they responded in. This was a God-induced response. God sent his spirit to wake them up and they came to their senses and they thought, oh yeah, what are we doing? Yeah, he's given us paneled houses, but we've lost the very thing that matters In verse 14, it says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of the people. Yet again, we see grace setting the pace here in the Old Testament scriptures, that what God has commanded in the world, he's first engendered within the hearts of his people. God is bringing his people back to life here, and they start opening their hands and opening their hearts and opening their pocketbooks, and they start rebuilding the temple to match their beautiful homes. So they've got these homes that work, but they've got the house of God that has become heaven on earth for them again, and life starts to shift for the people of God. Let me say this as clearly as I can so that you don't mishear me tonight. Remember, money isn't bad. Very often you come to church, oh, you bad people with money. You gotta have money. You gotta have money to live. God wants you well. God wants you to be able to be blessed, to be a blessing. My pastor growing up said, if God can get it through you, God will get it to you. Like money matters. I'm not saying money, money is not bad. Christians often miss this and we take on this poverty mentality that God doesn't want us to have. Money is not bad, but don't ever forget what money is for. And the people of God had forgotten what money was for. Their paneled houses were flourishing while the house of God, the people of God were in disarray. Last week after church, a couple came up to me and I'm gonna be discreet. If you're here tonight, the couple who came up to me, I'm not gonna say, you're fine. They came up to me right over here and they said, we feel like the Lord has called us to give a scary gift. I said, really? Tell me about that. What's a scary gift? They said, we've, you know, we've always been generous and we've, we, you know, we've trusted the Lord and we've participated, but like this is next level and it's scary to us. It's like he's asking us to do something we've never done before and it kind of takes our breath away. I said, oh yeah, I've been there before. And I called Lisa over. I said, Lisa, remember that one? And we start talking about them. And I said to them before they, I didn't know what they were gonna give or what they were gonna do. And I said, this is a moment that you will never recover from. In all the right ways, God is calling you to this next level of faith and he's asking you to take the risk. And I remember the first risk God demanded of us to take and we took it and we came alive. And so they said, you know, we know of this issue. And so I said, Okay, well, I'll respond to you. You tell me what you want. He said, will you be here on Sunday? I said, yes. And on Sunday, he came and he found me down at the altar after the service and he handed me an envelope with 50 $100 bills in it, $5,000. 
And he told me about a situation that was going on. And he said, we want to alleviate that. We want it to be made right. What's happening is not right, and we want it to be made right. And he gave me the guy's phone number, and he said, you can call him. I don't want him to know who we are. So I called this guy, and this guy comes up to the church at 1245 last Sunday afternoon, and he walks in the lobby not knowing why he's walking in the lobby. And I said, hey, man of God, uh, some people in the congregation know about an issue with you, and they want it to be made right. And I handed him $5,000, and he collapsed. Oh, sobbing and heaving, and I don't even know what's going on. I don't know who he is, and I don't know the situation. I'm sobbing and heaving, and we're in the lobby. He's a big old boy. He's strong, and we're hugging each other, and, you know, just sobbing. And he said, you'll have no idea. I, my, my lawyers called me last week and told me that if I don't have $5,000, they're dropping me. He said, I'm going in tomorrow morning. What was wrong has been made a little more right. Can we praise God for that couple? There was nothing wrong with those people having money. Thankfully, they knew what it was for. Blessed to be a blessing. Live in your paneled house and keep your eyes open for the people of God who are in need. There's a lady here in the congregation and just out of the blue, randomly she'll walk up to me and give me an envelope and I'll open it up in the office the next day and like take your breath away kind of money. And she'll say to me, take care of the single parents in our congregation. Take care of the vulnerable elderly in our congregation, please. Let this money be useful for those needs. Yes, ma'am. On her check, it says apartment number. I look at that and I go, apartment number? You could be living down at the Broadmoor with this kind of money. Like world-changing kind of money. Take your breath away kind of money. And on her check, it says apartment number. And this is a woman who knows what money is for. God has blessed me, she said, and he's demanded that I be a blessing. And it's the greatest joy of my life to step into these situations and don't tell anyone who I am and don't ever say another word about it. And if you hear of a need, you come and find me. Blessed to be a blessing. There's nothing wrong with her having money. Thankfully, she knows what money is for. See, why do we stand up here every week and invite you to participate in the act of worship by giving tithes and offerings? Is it because we want to build bigger buildings? God Almighty, no. We don't need a bigger building. Is it because we need a Hummer for the pastor? No. Is it because we need a golf cart for the parking lot? No. Why do we invite you into? We invite you into worshiping the Lord with tithes and offerings because one, God has established it and he knows that it uproots greed out of our hearts. That's a one thing on its own. Two, there's a big church and a big city and a big world out there with big needs. And as all of us pool together our resources, we can change the world. Some of you hear these two stories I've just told and you said, I would love to give a gift like that. I'm not able. The third story is the story of many years ago. Dear friends, Jordan and Mindy, their, their boy, Brody, he, he contracted cancer. Was he two years old, Jordan, when it happened? Two years old, and we would go up to Denver Children's, and 
the church just rallied around and we're weeping with those that weep and what do you need? And people are bringing meals over and, and they have lived so faithfully in this church for 17, 16 plus years and they've taken care of people and it, now it was their time for the church to come around them and help them and we were praying, Lord, spare his life. Lord, spare his life. Lord, spare his life. And thankfully Brody's over in the tent tonight just, just going for it. <laughs> Chemo. Chemo took away all of his hair and he's got the best head of hair. Talk about kingdom poetic justice. This guy looks like a lion running around here with this mane of curls. Brody is just this man of God. But I remember in those days, Lillian, Lillian must have been seven years old, my daughter. And she came home to us one day and she, she said, Dad, Mom, I want to pay for one of Brody's chemo treatments. She said, I want to talk to my friends at school and I want to find out ways that we can raise some money and just help. Now, I knew that she wasn't going to be able to pay for a whole thing. She wouldn't get, but, but I wasn't even going to talk about that. I just wanted to listen to her heart. I want to help pay for one of Brody's chemo treatments. So they started making banana bread and cookies and bake sales from heaven and all, selling dolls and doing all kinds of random stuff and you know, going to Goodwill with her mom and buying things for $5 and selling it for 10 on Craigslist. And she's just like, she's brokering deals right and left because she wants to help Brody and one day she came and she got this little envelope and her and her friends from school had raised $120 and we drove over to the Linscombe's house they couldn't see anyone because they, he couldn't get sick so they had to stay behind the door and wave at everyone and we put it on the front porch and we love you and, and we drove away and we, I, Lord please I just want to say to you tonight, you don't have to be able to give $5,000 in cash, and you don't have to be able to have Broadmoor change the world kind of money. God doesn't look at the amount. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And let me tell you about a man named Jesus who was rich. The richest man there ever was. No lack no shortage, only fullness and vitality in life and joy. Jesus, only eternal peace, only eternal blessedness, only eternal wholeness with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come on the throne in heaven, the one who was there, the one who is the great let there be and there was. Jesus, it's all working. Jesus has got a paneled house if anyone has ever had a paneled house. And yet he became poor. Here's the gospel turn. Jesus neglected his house, his tabernacle, his body was broken so that the world could be rebuilt. I'll just say it this way. Jesus shows us what riches are for. Very God of God made flesh dwelling among us and stretches out his arms on the tree. Jesus was destroyed so that we could be made whole. It was for us, it was for the world, it was for healing, it was for salvation, it was for blessing. Second Corinthians eight, nine, Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He was rich and became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. This is what God is 
like. God is not asking you to be generous and he's the stingy God up in heaven seeing if we can jump over. God is saying, I want you to become like me. I want you to know what true joy is. I want you to know what blessing is. I want you to know what a tender heart feels like. And, and if you live this kind of life, your purses will catch. <laughs> your purses will not have holes in them. Come unto me and learn how to be generous. I'll say it this way. Jesus' house was destroyed so that our houses could be rebuilt. And if Jesus has done this for us, then he's commissioned us to become this for the world. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? The call tonight is to remember what Jesus has done for you, to remember what Jesus has given you. And then through that, to not ever forget what riches are for. And don't ever forget what your salvation is for. And don't ever forget what the love of God extended to you and to me is for. And so would you open your hands tonight and would you just begin to thank Jesus for what he's done? The rich one became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Jesus, the bread of life, was broken and he gives us bread and cup tonight to make us rich, to make us whole. And so Jesus, we pray that you would do this work by your spirit. Jesus, we pray that you would make us the people who rebuild your house for the world, people who rebuild your house for the single parent, people who rebuild your house for the widow, people who rebuild your house for the orphan, people who rebuild your house for the hungry and the thirsty, people who rebuild your house for the homeless, people who rebuild your house for the naked and the prisoner and the, the people who are on the verge and the people who don't have anyone to fight for them. Make us that kind of church. Blessed to be a blessing. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you stand with me tonight? Thank you. Would you get your communion elements ready to receive? And this is just the right exchange. This is the right moment to come to after this text. Because God is not here to demand something of us that he hasn't already provided. Jesus has given us all we need to live this kind of life. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Tonight, as you receive this bread here in just a second, I want you to, to imagine yourself receiving wholeness. As you take it out, I want you to imagine your life being rebuilt by the one who was decimated so that you could be rebuilt. As we receive from Jesus tonight, we are being rehomed, we're being put back together. And so Jesus, would you heal us to the deepest places tonight as we receive from you? You may receive the bread. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup. I just want you to be human real quick and use your imagination. Have you ever sat at a table and someone handed you the cup? Someone fed you real good and you felt loved. You felt honored. 
You felt seen, you felt hospitality. Jesus is not wagging the finger at you and demanding something of you that he hasn't done himself. Jesus is saying, it's okay. You can live this way. This cup is the new covenant and it's given in my blood. It's gonna cost me everything. And it's given for the remission of your sins. All the stuff you bring to the table, I've got it. And as often as you do this, says Jesus, do this for the remembrance of me. And so tonight I have the sense that some of you carry shame to the table. Some of you carry embarrassment to the table. Some of you bring a bunch of bags to this table and it's just heavy and it's, it's difficult and it's embarrassing. Tonight, I, I'm gonna ask you to just loosen your hands and drop all that stuff because Jesus isn't asking you to keep it. Jesus is saying, go ahead and open up your hands. Let that go. Open up your hands so I can give you the cup. Your sins have been washed away. Your shame has been carried away into the sea of forgetfulness. You are clean tonight because of Jesus. You may receive the cup. Let's worship the Lord together. I want you to open your hands and open your hearts and let's sing this song in response with gratefulness for all that Jesus has done for us.
Come on, church. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. children tonight with all these coins so feel free to send them down to help me clean this junk up but before we go would you open your hands tonight I'm going to pray the blessing of God as you go I pray that the Lord would make all of us tender hearted again the meek shall inherit the earth so, Lord, in a world that is abrasive, in a world that is angry, in a world that's filled with strife, make us the tenderhearted. In a world that is so often blind to the need, would you give us eyes to see? In a world that closes our ears to the cries because it's just almost too much, Lord, I pray that you would open our ears. Pray that you would give us the grace to respond to the needs that we see around us. I pray, Lord, that you would bless my friends and that you would keep them and that you would make your face to shine upon them, that you would be gracious to them. Lord, smile big on their lives and on all of their people. And would you grant them peace, I pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Can we give thanks to the Lord for what he's done here tonight? We are so grateful you came. If you uh, want prayer about anything, our prayer team will be down here. We'd love to agree with you. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.